What a joy it is to be together to worship the Lord. We are in the book of Titus. We have come to Titus chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 9 and 10. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you so much. It is a privilege right now to be praying, all made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Father, we are a needy people. We have physical eyes to see. We have ears to hear with. But, Father, we are so dependent upon the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts. You know the thoughts and intents of every person in this room. You know where our minds are wandering and tend to wander. And I pray, Father, as we have this privilege and opportunity to open the Word of God, that it's something we would not take for granted. That, Father, we would be ready to hear. We'd be ready to listen. And that, Father, as the word of God is preached, that we would apply it and check out whether these things are so, so that, Father, we can walk as we leave these doors in a way that's a shining light to the world around us. And I pray, Father, and ask that the word of God would be rightly divided and understood as the Holy Spirit accomplishes his work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This is actually the second part of the text, the series that we're dealing with. And I say series because of where we are, it's biblical instruction to slaves. And you notice as I have in the outline, you have a review. I would suggest and encourage you not to start wandering in your thinking. If you were here last week, and if you weren't here, certainly obviously to pay attention because I do think this is an important text for us to understand. So let's review the foundational matters that we have already seen. And I am going to go through the beginning part of this message rather rapidly and throw a lot of information out to us because, again, I believe it's very important. We noted last week in starting this that we need to understand that this text is relevant to us. At first glance, when we see the word bond slaves or slaves, we may not think that it's relevant to the believer today. Secondly, when we think of a bond slave, as I pointed out last week, normally for those that grew up in the United States of America, we think in terms of pre-Civil War bond slaves that happened in this country. But we need to see that this text is important, as I mentioned last week, not only to understand the context of what Paul is teaching Titus and how he is to instruct the believers on the island of Crete, it does affect the every issues of our day, as we noted last week. Men and women relationships, the equality issues that we face today, the concept of rich and poor, all of those practical concepts that you and I are facing every day are really right here in this text as well. If we don't understand it, we won't grasp them, and our world is saturated with them, and our college students are being impacted by our schools around us today in their thinking in this area. We noted that as we went back a little bit with biblical history, 
that all, and you need to catch this again, all men have been created equal. Created equal. How? In the image and likeness of God, and we are the highest part of his creation. We cannot see any, any other way. That's what the scriptures make very clear. We are all created equal. Right there is where man then diverts everything from scripture and causes confusion. But we noted last week, while all men are created equal, biblically, God has made it very clear that roles are still different. He created us male and female, and those roles have not changed. Society wants to take that equality issue and change that. I won't go over all of that again. Secondly, we saw that socially, biblically, there is a definite distinction between the rich and the poor. There always has been, and even Christ himself in the New Testament clearly states you will always have the poor with you. And yet our society and the influence of thinking is that equality means everybody's equal. It's not so biblically. Neither are our abilities. And we need to get that one into the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we won't go into the depth of it this morning, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God has gifted us and set us in the body as it pleases him and given us particular abilities so that the body will function together. We do not all have the same abilities. We do not all have the same gifts. And we went all the way back in Genesis last week to point out that, yes, we're created equal, but we have different roles. We have different abilities. We have different social status. And God never intended that to be differently. And we're trying to put it all together. And when it comes to slavery, that subject that we're on right now, which I know is very controversial, especially in this country, we need to understand that God anticipated it, and he even told Israel, you will be in bondage. You will become slaves. God himself pointed to that. And again, I challenge you, but I'll, I'll just summarize it with what we saw last week. We noted surprisingly to the Christian today, probably, and certainly surprising to our society, the scriptures, now get this, neither encourage nor does it condemn slavery. Now that kind of hurts and goes against what we want to think about, but it doesn't. God addresses, and here's what we really want to grab on this early part of the review, God really addresses the inward man. We are so concentrated on changing the outward so that society's happy. Let me tell you something, and you'll hear that probably four times today, but that will never get a person in a right relationship with God. You can change everything outwardly. Change the roles, change the status in society, change the abilities, and you'll never bring a person to Christ because you'll never change them from the inside out. God's in the business of changing from the inside out, and what he deals with Old Testament, New Testament alike, is the attitudes and the actions both of the master and of the slave. And he concentrates on that. We also noted last week that in reality, we are all slaves. Romans made it very clear as we looked at that text last week that you are either a slave to sin. If you haven't trusted in Christ for salvation, biblically, you are a slave to your sin. That's what you will produce. You will conform to your lust. You will conform to the world. You will yield to Satan, who is the father of lies, and you will produce sin in your life. 
not righteousness. Your righteousness is like filthy rags, scripturally. All righteousness of men. And yet, it says, while we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death as a slave, we are now the slaves of Christ, or slaves unto righteousness. We are still slaves, folks. We have been bought with a price. We are owned by God. We belong to him. Now, I won't repeat them, but for those who might want them, they are on, on I, I don't know why I say tapes anymore. Tapes are things of the past. Whatever we got them on, MP3s, discs, whatever it is that's in that back room, it's there. You have the text of the Old Testament and New Testament that deal with slavery, and it's kind of surprising there's so many. Where I want to pick it up with is a couple of additional foundational information. I will give you references. I will fire them at you because I don't want to spend all my time on this, or we'll have a four-part message, and we have a guest speaker next week. But I will give you references, and it will be on the technology that we have. Okay? And here we go. How did people become slaves? Now, you might know all the answers to this, but let me just tell you biblically. How did people become a slave, first of all? Well, to begin with, number one, we find scripturally they sold themselves to it. And I just want to give a little side trip here for a second. That is exactly what Jesus Christ did. When you look at the very difficult and in-depth passage of Philippians, known as the Kenosis passage, he submitted himself willingly as a bond slave, though he was God himself. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Why? so that we could be bought out of the slave market of sin and have life, and have life eternal. But we find out scripturally they did sell themselves to it. Why did they sell themselves to it? Well, number one, uh, they allowed themselves to be sold because of poverty. And you would find that, for example, in Leviticus chapter 25. There's many other passages. There's one, Leviticus chapter 25. And because of their poverty, what people would do is so that they could get food, shelter, and protection, in turn, they would give themselves into slavery and be owned by that person. Secondly, we find in the scripture, Nehemiah chapter 5 is an example of this one, that we find out that some sold themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. Now, by the way, Joseph is, and you'll hear that name several times this morning, Joseph, who we'll talk about his getting sold into slavery in a minute, but once he was under the king and had been freed from prison and all of that, if you remember, he instituted a situation where people started buying and selling, and eventually they sold themselves because they had nothing left to sell. They sold themselves to slavery. That was very common and it's found in the scriptures. Thirdly, when we talk about selling themselves, it was to purchase something or to purchase someone. Let me remind you of Genesis 29, Jacob. He sold himself basically to Laban for seven years for his wife, though he got tricked and that's a whole new issue. He did it. And so you will find throughout scripture that number one, slavery was a result of people selling themselves because they were too poor or they had to pay off a debt or simply that they wanted to purchase something so for a period of time they would sell themselves as a slave. Secondly, people became slaves, Leviticus chapter 25 again, because they were sold by others. That's an example again, by the way, of Joseph. 
He was sold into slavery. He didn't want it. His own brothers sold him into slavery. So we find that people became slaves because he was sold by others. Thirdly, as they became prisoners of war, Deuteronomy chapter 20. And let me recall some others outside of Deuteronomy to you. People became a slave as a prisoner of war. Daniel and his companions fall into that category. They, because Nebuchadnezzar took over, they took some of the children, some of the better young people, and they basically made them slaves and in some cases eunuchs. But they basically took them over, and so as a result of war, the, 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 the country or the powers that were victorious took people as their slaves whom they conquered. And that's an interesting piece, by the way, and let me give you another one for those of you that were here, and if you weren't, catch this. That is very interesting because one of the things that happened when this took place and they were, there was a victory and they became slaves of somebody else is they were then mocked and they took on new names. That's exactly what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their names were changed. Do you know, it's an interesting study and I haven't got the time for it with you right now, but follow through on that in scripture. We are given a new name. According to the book of Ephesians, once we are saved, we are given the mock of God. When it says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's not talking about sealing in a jar. The Holy Spirit is the mock of God in our life that we belong to him, that he's bought us. And in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, it says that we will have a new name in heaven. Why? Because our conqueror, the conqueror over sin and death, the one who now has brought us from death and now there is no condemnation on us, gives us a new name and it's his name. So all each interesting study on slavery, an interesting study as to what God does. But prisoners of war. Fourth one is they were given as gifts. And in Genesis chapter 29, since I already used Jacob as a, or I went back in the uh, book of Genesis, Jacob, for example, when he was going to marry, he was given slaves as well. That's a very common thing that you would find in Scripture. And the last two I'll give you is, again, Leviticus chapter 25, is an inheritance. They would inherit slaves. Or the last one is sometimes, because they already had slaves, slaves would be born into a family. So there were various ways in which people became slaves. Now, in saying that, I also want to give you a little bit of additional foundational information that might help us a little bit in our study of Titus. What is it? There was definite distinctions in Scripture. What was that? Between the nations and then Israel, and eventually between the nations and New Testament Christians. What do you mean? For example, if you were to go in the Scriptures, you'd find out with Egypt since you're familiar with Egypt and Israel's bondage, and Rome, New Testament, never mind the Civil War here, Egypt and Rome, Old Testament, New Testament, those nations basically had no rules. You were owned by them, totally. They could abuse you any way they wanted. In fact, you had no rights as a slave, none. They could treat you and did treat, both in Egypt, all the way through, all the way into Rome, they would treat you like an animal. If they wanted to kill you, they could kill you, no questions asked, 
whatsoever. That was the nations. And if you study slavery and its history, you will see that that's one of the problems. That's, by the way, what led to what we had in the United States of America. However, Israel, according to Exodus 21, you might want to star that one. I gave it to you last week, but that's really where you get a lot of the detail. With Israel, it was to be different. God didn't say they couldn't have slaves. However, God regulated the masters. And I'll give you some samples of it. While they were owned, all they could do is they could require obedience of the slaves, yes. And they were owned. They belonged to the Israelites. However, they could not abuse them. Israel could not abuse their slaves. They were to treat them godly. They owned them, and they would work for them, and they would perform responsibilities. However, they could not abuse them. God would not allow that, Exodus 21. Neither could they kill them. If they killed them, if you look at Exodus 21, the owner was punished. They could not just kill them. The, the nations, basically, they were like an animal. They wanted to kill them, they killed them. That's what happened in America as well. They could hang them on a tree. But basically, when you came to Israel, they did not have that privilege. They could have slaves, but they couldn't abuse them, nor could they kill them. And let me give you one other one. You probably, many of you are familiar with it. After six years, they had to give them the ability to be free. If the slave wanted to turn around and stay, they could stay, and they would stay for life. They'd take them, mock their ear, and all kinds of things would happen, which I don't understand, but I get the, get the thought. Okay. But after six years, they had to free them. See, there was a big difference. Big, big difference. Some things that I want you to catch now as we get ready for our text. When you understand that there was to be difference between the nations in Israel and the New Testament in the Old Testament, a couple of things I want you to grasp. Number one, it was a big part of ancient history and also a very big part of the New Testament church. The New Testament church, which is made up primarily of Jews, then the Gentiles as they get the message, there was a lot of slavery because they were under Rome. That's why the text that I gave you last week, there are six New Testament texts that deal with it at length, or quite a bit, of slavery. It was a big part of the church. The slave was always owned by his master. If you don't grasp that, you will never grasp who you are in Christ. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own, neither am I. And we don't have any right to come into a service on Sunday morning, have this service, walk out the door, and say, see you, God, next Sunday. You are 24-7 a child of God and owned by God. And by the way, you get the greatest master in the world, the most loving master in the world. Slaves were to serve and obey without question. Masters were to provide for them and never to abuse them. But there were definite distinctions, even in the New Testament, of positions, roles, and rights. Now. If you really grasp all that foundational information that we spent time on, you can see what I've got in your outline. There was a practical dilemma that was faced when the gospel came along. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to fly through these texts. Romans 1. We're coming right back to Titus in a few moments. 
You know, some of you already have electronics anyway, so you're already there and I'm not. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Watch. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. By the way, this is an encouragement for us for witnessing. Never be afraid of the power of the gospel. Don't be afraid of people. Preach the word. It is the power of God for salvation. Look at this. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? For in it is the reason the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It doesn't matter. It crosses everything. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We preach the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, and that is open to the world. We had to preach that to everyone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let me pick it up in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, all its education, all of its wisdom, what? Did not come to know God. God was well pleased. This is his plan. Through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Watch. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach a different message. We preach good news. We preach the message of Christ. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it's foolishness. But to those, Jew and Gentile alike, who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, one more passage. Go to Galatians chapter 3. You'll see the relevance of what we're talking about. The gospel comes along, and now you go, and you see that it's the power of God. We're to go preach it. We're to go preach it to the men, the women. We're to preach it to the Jews, to the Greeks. We're to preach it to the rich, to the poor. We're to preach the gospel of God to the slave, to the master. It makes no difference. And you come down to Galatians chapter 3. Now, listen carefully to what I'm going to say here. This is probably one of the most abused and misunderstood verses of Scripture. Because this passage, this verse, is used by believers today and unbelievers to say there are no more roles, there are no more distinctions. I hope after a week and a half you understand that God has always intended male, female, rich, poor, and everybody has different roles, and while we are equal in Christ, there is always distinctions. Now watch. Here's the dilemma. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, and you got to look at the rest of the verse and the context. Reason for you are all one, it doesn't stop there, in Christ Jesus. It is the gospel that breaks down those barriers. It is the gospel that does not distinguish between what the roles are, nor the social status, and that is why we preach the gospel, and though not a lot, according to 1 Corinthians, there are not many, but there are some who are noble who come to Christ. There are many slaves who come to Christ. But we had to preach the gospel across all areas. It is the gospel that makes us one. It doesn't do away with the roles. You don't come to Christ and all of a sudden there's no male-female relationship, no husband and wife responsibility. That's foolishness. However, it does present a dilemma. 
Because now in Christ, the slave is equal to the master in their position in Christ. The woman is the same as the man in Christ. The rich and the poor are the same in Christ. The gospel has broken all of that down. So it is the gospel that eliminates all of that and gets to all areas of the world. And it presents the problem. What is the problem? Let me give you some. Should I no longer be a slave? You know, here I was a slave. I heard this gospel. This is marvelous. Now I'm a believer. Hey, master, see you later. Should I just leave? Does this mean that we're all now equal? So you know what, Mr. Master, Mr. Millionaire, I would like half of that so that I'm no longer Mr. Slave. Is that what it presents? Uh, by the way, you're no more my master. I only answer to Christ. Now, I talked about the fact that the other reason people don't think this is relevant is 90% of the Christians today, when they see this passage on slavery, all they think about is employer-employee relationships. That's an application. But if you don't understand slavery, you're not going to even understand that. That was a dilemma that they were faced with. What do you do? You know how God began to answer? Let me go back to this one and then right back into Titus. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The gospel breaks down all of the barriers in the sense that it gets to the heart. And it doesn't matter what the position is. It doesn't matter what the social status is. Now the dilemma comes in, what do I do? Now I'm saved. Do I just delete this position that I'm in? Do I change this social status that I have? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning verse 20. Each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. You say, I don't know what you mean by that. I'm glad you said that. Verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Don't worry about it. What is he saying? Stay a slave. However, he says, but if you're able to become free, that's fine. If your master wants to free you now, or you can, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But don't seek to just get out of the slavery. He goes on, watch. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. You might still be a physical slave, but you're a free man in Christ. Watch. <clears throat> Likewise, he who was called while he's free, you belong to Christ. You might have been a free man. Let me just take the Apostle Paul. He was a Roman citizen. You're a free man, Paul, but you are a slave of Christ. Guess who was the first one to say that? Paul, when he wrote his epistles. A bond slave of Christ. He goes on. You who were bought, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. You know what? Believers don't like that. That's what he says. Wherever you were called, that is not the issue. Why do you think he says that? I'm going to tell you why. Because if you just change the outward, you've changed nothing. There it is again. It's happened inside. 
And if you're a slave, you need to be the slave that Christ wants you to be so that your master and all the world sees it. If you are poor, you've been called in that position. If God allows you to become rich, that's fine. But you are rich in Christ. You have an inheritance that's undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for you, that's far beyond anything that you can begin to imagine. Just serve as a poor man on the earth and be a testimony for Christ. No matter who we are, we are to be godly in that calling. So the church was faced with that immediately in this, right in the midst of all kinds of slavery. And that's why is Paul, now let's get ready and go back to Titus chapter 2. That's why Paul is addressing Titus on the island of Crete to now tell them how the slaves were to behave who had come to Christ. Don't seek to get out of the slavery. Don't start to cause chaos. Learn how to live as a Christian slave. And that is the instruction that he's given. So now if you're back in Titus chapter 2, which is our text, let me give you the bottom line of the biblical instruction some specifics, and then let's deal with it with the time we get left. The bottom line is this, and it's for all of us. Honor Christ in your attitudes and your actions. Let me just stop right there this morning. You might be sitting here this morning and say, you know, I don't know what application this has. Are you honoring Christ? I'm talking to believers. In your attitude, in your action before the world. That's what he's teaching here. Number two, do not be conformed to the thinking of the world. And number three, you are to be a light to everyone you come in contact with. Let me repeat that. You're to be a light to Everyone that you come in contact with, unsaved and saved alike. Let's look at the specifics. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Here's the five of them. What was the slave to do? Run away, right? I don't think so. Here's the five points, and then we'll deal with them. One, be subject to your own master in everything. Be subject to your own master and everything as a Christian slave. Two, try everything you can to please your master. Three, do not talk back to your master. Four, do not steal from them. Five, Boy, does this one get to the rubber in the road. Be loyal. Show you can be trusted. That's his instruction. Then he tells them why. This has application to believers at every level. As Christians, because we've been bought with a price, so if nothing else, folks, everyone in this room should be thinking about our relationship to Christ because I have been bought if you're a believer. If you haven't yet come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Why? Because you are in bondage to sin. 
And what your life will produce is sin. And the wages of sin is death, not just physical, but eternal separation from God. And God's love was so great that he sent he who knew no sin so that he could become sin for you. Died on the cross of Calvary, rose again the third day, is seated at the right hand of the Father. All is God, part of God's plan to satisfy the righteous judgment of God on sin. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you can have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And now you become a slave of God. But for those of us who have trusted in Christ, apply it there first. Second, if you have a job, yes, apply it to who you work for. And if you're a boss, apply it to yourself. What is it? Number one, submissiveness. Chapter 2 and verse 9. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters. Watch them in everything. As a slave, as an employee, because I think that one does apply to every one of us, as we belong to Christ, that certainly belongs to us, we are to obey Christ in everything, whether we like it or we don't. We read the Word of God. You're encouraged as a congregation to read the Word of God. You're sitting in a congregation that gets taught the Word of God with depth. And as we get that into us, it's one thing to have it stuck up here. It's another thing to let it work out of your life out there and in here. And what we need to see is when I go to a verse of scripture and it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, guess what? You might not like it. Love them as Christ loved the church. When it says in the scriptures, women, uh, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that's what it says. When it says, children, obey your parents, that's what it says. When it says, let no corrupt communica communication come out of your mouth, that's what it says. You are to obey in everything. The passage that I just read in Romans. Never return evil for good. Only speak that which is edifying to the need of the moment. Those are all practical applications of what we're talking about here. We are to obey in everything. The only exception that you'd find to this is when it's in direct violation to Scripture. You'd find that New Testament, Old Testament alike. For time, I'll give it to you quick. Joseph, remember that? He was falsely accused. By the way, Joseph served in every capacity. And he was a wonderful slave. His master saw that, and he saw how God blessed his life because of his slave. And yet when it came down to Potiphar's wife, remember that? That's where Joseph drew the line. Come lie with me. How can I do this and offend God? And he ran. And he got punished for it. So what? I'm obeying my master above. That's the only time. New Testament, same thing. You need to understand. And if you're an employee, you have a job and you're getting a paycheck. You need to understand that there's expectations and you ought to be grateful. You ought to be thankful. You ought to be willing to serve. And you ought not to be someone who is disobedient. We're not to be that way with Christ. And if we were a slave, and there's not too many of us that are literal bond slaves in this society because of what our country has been through, and I thank the Lord for that. But in the application of work, I can tell you, many of you know my background. After I graduated with my degree from, the first, from college, I worked 
in Boston, and I worked in Lowell, and I worked for a CPA firm, and I worked and saw and audited many, many companies, and I can tell you with a list a mile long how many times I witnessed people just absolutely horrendous employees. I don't know why they were working in there anymore. They shouldn't have been because of their attitudes. They didn't obey. We had to obey in everything with Christ. Number two, he doesn't only say obey in everything. He says to be well-pleasing. What does that mean? Try to please them. Do your job. Not what you want to do, what you've been called to do. If you're paid, let me just get it into the market of employer-employee. If you're paid to work on a computer, work on a computer. If you're paid to deliver mail, deliver mail. Don't tell your employer you like to do other things. You're being paid to do that. Do what you're supposed to be doing and try to do the best that you can. Is that practical? Listen, you'd be the first one to quote 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, right? Absolutely. Why? Because you are a slave of your master. And whatever you do, you do it to try to please God. And the Apostle Paul said that. In every way, his concern was pleasing God. In the practical sense, what he's teaching them, you tell those slaves to obey their masters because they are owned by them. You tell those slaves that they try to do the best job they can. And if they need a biblical example why he didn't give it to them, take a good look at Joseph, how he obeyed even when he was falsely accused. He knew what his job was, and he did it to the best of his ability. We don't have that in the job market too often today, that people are trying to please their master. You should want your company to succeed because that's how you have a job. And by the way, according to Colossians chapter 3, let's turn to one of them passages, but let me give you three of them. Colossians 3, 22 to 25, and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. You know what that says? You are to do the best job when you're not being watched. It's easy to do it with eye service when they're watching you. What about when your boss is not watching you? Are you playing around doing other things? I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. It's a poor example, but it's honest from my own heart. I was a high school student getting ready for college. I had a job in Lawrence. We had a great job. My, my brother-in-law and I, we painted, and we, we did a lot of work. But there were some days that it rained and so forth, so they wanted us to paint internally. One time, the place that we had get hired to paint, we were doing the job, and my brother-in-law and I were walking around over the pipes and everything else, having a good time playing hide-and-seek as high school students. The point is, we weren't doing our job. We thought it was kind of cool until we got caught. That wasn't what we were supposed to be doing. We, I wasn't saved then. Do you know there's believers that are doing everything else and excusing why they're doing it rather than 
doing what the boss is paying them to do? Is that true of you? Shouldn't be. But the one I want you to see is 1 Peter 2. Go there. Let's go to 1 Peter 2. Come on. Wake up. 1 Peter 2. Quickly, verse 18. Servants. John MacArthur has a great book on this, by the way, because he calls it slaves. Too many times in the New Testament, we have the word servant. If you go back and look at the Greek language, it says bond slave. Watch this. Be submissive to your masters with all respect. And look, look at this. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. You have an unreasonable boss. You know what? No excuse. Do your job. For this finds favor if you, for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Joseph is the example. You suffer unjustly from your boss, shut your mouth, do your job, and basically you will honor God. That's what he's saying. You say, but my boss, you don't understand it. I don't have to. My boss is the worst one in the world. You're going to tell that to God when you stand before him as to why you didn't do your job? It ain't going to work. For what credit is there if you, when you sin, are harshly treated and you endure that with patience? You say, ah, I got treated this way and this is what happened to me. Yeah, because you didn't do your job, if the truth be known. You thought you should have been doing something else. It's not what you were being paid to do. You're never going to excuse that before God, ever. He says, what good is that? You're suffering because you should have suffered. But if when you're doing it right, you suffer for it with patience, you endure it, this finds favor, and here's the key, with God. And you can read the rest of the passage. It's interesting because you know what that leads into? A lot of people don't catch that. That is what leads into the example of Christ. Look at it in chapter 2. When he says, when Christ was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was belittled, he didn't do it. What did he do? He set himself as an example. And he opened not his mouth, and he went to the cross of Calvary. That's what the rest of that passage says. That's in the context of when you're working for somebody who you think is not a fair boss. Next, number three, go back. Titus chapter 2. We're almost done. Here's a good one. Not argumentative. Number three, don't talk back. Now, I know none of you have any problem with that, right? You've never been on a job where you talk back to the boss. In other words, literally, that says don't argue and don't be contradicting. Don't contradict your employer. If you're a slave, you don't talk back to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, why did you do this? Uh, you got no right. Uh, what, really? I don't know why there's trials in my life. Why, why did you let this happen to me? And God's looking down and saying, let it happen to you. Didn't I save you? Don't you have a great inheritance? Don't I tell you that through trials, James chapter 1, you're going to grow? You don't want to grow? Why did you do this to me? And the same thing happens on the job. And the same thing happens in practical. 
You've heard it. I've heard it. How does the talk back come? Excuses for not doing what you were supposed to do? You don't like the conditions at work? Have you ever heard that? Come on, you're out there in the work world. Have you ever done it? You don't like the conditions that are there at work? You're complaining. You're arguing. Stop your complaining and criticizing. That's what he tells the slaves to do. That's practical. Do everything that you can to do the best job that you can. Try to please your boss. Don't talk back. Number four, do not steal. That's what he says in verse 10. No uh, pilfering. Well, that's obvious, Pastor Dan. Obvious. Do you know that that's the whole book of Philemon? It is. Paul, obviously, Philemon gets saved. Do you remember what Paul said? If he has taken anything from you, put it on my account. And by the way, that is a great example of what Christ did for us. He took our sin and it went to his account so that we could be free. But that's the whole story behind Philemon. Philemon was a slave. I mean, you have Philemon and, uh, what's, what's his name? What's his name? Onesimus. I couldn't think of his name. Thank you. And, and what happened? You had that relationship. Why was Paul saying that? Because it wasn't uncommon for slaves to steal because they needed things and run away. How many pencils, papers, maybe today it's iPads, iPhones, maybe it's other things have you taken from your boss and the company's got to go through the expense and we excuse it? Now, I'm just telling you this because it's true, and I know Scott's here, but if I end up getting something, it bothers me to no end when I owe him five cents or ten cents. And, I'll, and Scott said this to me, well, you know, don't worry about it. It is bothering me. And I come back, and it might be a day later or something, I give him the five cents or ten cents or whatever because I, I grab something or whatever. It should bother us. We don't think of that. Why? Because we don't think of the relationship with Christ. It is not uncommon that when the boss is not looking, to steal. That is the whole concept of the unjust servant. And by the way, even the talents, Lord wasn't around, he came back, and one of them buried it in the ground because he's afraid of his boss. Because the master has more, you think you have a right to steal? You don't. Not whatsoever. Not anything. So he has to tell them. You tell the slaves, you know what? Don't run away from slavery and don't steal from your boss. Don't steal from your master. And the last one, because we've got to wrap it up. He says, but showing all good faith. What does that mean? Here's something that I believe is lacking in the body of Christ. Listen carefully. I know you're getting tired. It's lacking in the body of Christ. It's lacking in the local church around the world. And it's lacking in Christians' lives. Loyalty. Loyalty. But showing all good faith. It is very hard to find someone who is loyal anymore. Loyal to the things of Christ. Loyal to the local assembly. Loyal to other believers. Show that you can be trusted. That's what it says. You know, we've all raised children, those of us that, as parents, we've had children. And don't you want them, that the children want to be trusted. 
Show you can be trusted and I'll trust you. Same is true with us. It may be that you don't believe your boss trusts you. Why? You haven't shown them that you can be trusted yet. That's why. Are you using your time right? Are you doing the best job that you can do? Are you obeying in everything? No wonder he doesn't trust you. You're the problem. You're saying it's him. You're saying it's her. Look in the mirror. Why? Because you're not serving Christ the way you should be. With our lips, we complain all the time. With our actions, we excuse it. And loyalty seems to have gone out the window. But you know the goal of it all, and I need to get right to it to wrap it up. He's been instructing, remember chapter 2? Older men, younger men. Older women, younger women. And now slaves. And if you belong to Christ, you're a slave. It's got every bit of application to all of us. If you're working for somebody, you have a master over you in a practical sense. And why are we to obey them in everything? Why are we to try to do the best job that we can? Why are we not to argue or complain? Why are we not to steal? Why are we to be loyal to that company? By the way, you look at those other passages in Ephesians and Colossians, and that's what it says. Don't you be, if especially if you have a master that's a believer, you had better even behave more. Why? Look at the last part of the verse. So that, here's the result, here's the conclusion, here's the goal, they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. You want to behave that way to honor God. You want to make the Word of God attractive. You want to make Christianity attractive. I just had a conversation this past week with another pastor in another state over the internet. My friend, the internet, you don't realize what you're doing to the name of Christ. This pastor was discouraged. The stuff that's flying through the internet, and it, you know who's reading that? The unsaved world. And they're looking at Christians and saying, look at that, I want nothing to do with it. Rather than looking at Christians and saying, that's what I want. That person was at work, they had it difficult, and they're shining for Christ. I want that God. That person is living for God. They're working so hard. They are loyal. They don't argue. Their speech is nothing but edifying. I want to know how they're doing that. That's what he says. The goal for the older women and the older men, remember, look at it quickly. It's so that at the end of verse 5, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And the same thing was true earlier. So that verse 4, they may encourage the younger women. Why? Doesn't want the word of God dishonored. Then you go back to 6 to 8. It's the same idea. Showing yourself to be a good example, verse 7, of good deeds, purity, doctrine. What was the objective? So that, verse 8, the opponent will 
be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. I close with this. Are we the servants of God that we should be? Are we just reading? Are we just playing church? Or are we really being the servants that God, thank you for the conviction. Help me to live it. Help me to be the servant that obeys you, Christ, no matter what. Help me to be the servant that wants to glorify your name no matter what. Help me, Father, to use my tongue so that everything that proceeds out of this mouth is edifying. Help me not to steal from anybody, whether that be possessions, whether that be reputations, whether it be anything. Help me, Father, to do the best job that I can so that I am loyal to you, so that my life will shine as a light, as it says in Philippians, to the world in this crooked and perverse nation so others would be attracted to the things of Christ. And yes, my folks, my friends, think about it by application on your job. Help me to do the best job that I can. Help me to please that master, even when they're not looking, even when it's a taskmaster that's difficult, because I belong to Christ. Because one day, that man may come to Christ. That woman might come to Christ because they're attracted to him by my loyalty in my behavior. That's the way we want to live, Christ, for Christ. That's what we should be, believers. And this instruction for Paul to Titus to the slaves has every bit of application to us today. And I pray that we would honor God with our lives and be the servants of God that we should be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that you did love us so much that you sent your son. And I know, Father, in this audience, there are people here that still haven't come to Christ. They've got their arguments. They've got their doubts. But, Father, I know that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because the power of God unto salvation. Help them to see that they are doomed, dead in sin and trespasses. And, Father, they need the sacrifice of your son. They need to put their faith in him and what he did, that they might come to Christ and be brought from death to life. But Father, I also know in this audience, starting with me, we have many professing believers who forget that we're slaves of Christ. We live in a real world. We have real situations. But Father, we make excuses for our sin that are miles long. Help us as we leave this room to be the servant of Christ that is always looking to please you no matter what, no matter what trial comes our way, no matter what circumstances are in our way, help us, Father, to use our lips to bring glory to your name, to be thankful, which is our reasonable service, not to be complainers, not to be murmurers. Help us to look at the example of Christ so that, Father, Christ would be glorified, so that the gospel would become attractive and others might come to believe on our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.